0: But, yeah, so we've been going through the book of Mark, and and we find ourselves today in Mark chapter 3. We we finished up Mark chapter 2. We're now in Mark chapter 3, and we're looking at verses 1 through 6 this morning. Now, in this section of scripture, we find Mark concluding uh, what are considered five conflict episodes in the life of Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus would experience many conflicts, at least. Obviously, there was a great conflict at the cross, but um, this particular passage in in Mark's rapid fire um, explanation of the early days of Christ's ministry is a section where we see him uh, discussing five specific instances in the early periods of Christ's ministry where he enters into conflict with the religious leaders. The first conflict we saw back in in chapter 2, verse 1 where Jesus heals the paralytic, and he forgives his sins. The scribes, they question his words and his actions in their hearts, calling um, them blasphemous. They told Jesus he was being blasphemous by uh, forgiving the sins of this paralytic. And then Jesus rebukes him. In and, and chapter 2, verse 13, Jesus is seen dining with sinners. The religious, the religious leaders at the time questioned his actions, um, he addresses their concern by clarifying his purpose, and his priorities and his purpose, um, that he didn't come to call righteous people to walk with God, but sinners. And so he kind of sets them straight in that situation. In chapter 2, verse 18, we find yet another conflict in Jesus's ministry, where a group of religious men, um, mark Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, explains that these are actually John's disciples. They come up to him and they ask him a question about Jesus's disciples not fasting. And so Jesus, of course, responds by explaining the principle that those who fast do so as a way of mourning over an issue or a problem. And he explained to them that, hey, while the bridegroom is with them, there's no need to mourn or seek an answer because they they have the the one with the answers right there. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 23 and following, Jesus approaches a group of Pharisees who again question his actions. Now, Deuteronomy 23, 25 permitted um, these men, his disciples, to take a little bit of grain as they walked through uh, that field when they were hungry. However, Exodus chapter 34, verse 21, prevented work on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees said, hey, your guys are doing work. I mean, think about it. They're they're walking through a field and they're grabbing a little head of, of grain. And then these guys come up and want to find some against them and say, hey, they're doing work. they shouldn't be doing work, Of course, Jesus again, he rebukes them, He responds in, in a very powerful and probably one of the most powerful statements he makes in saying that he is in fact, the Lord of it's, it's for you to answer that last part. the Sabbath thing. I just want to make sure everybody was was tracking with me, so um, in this week's passage, we come to a fifth conflict, one that upon its conclusion would begin the end of Jesus's ministry. Now, we've been reviewing all these, these cases of conflict in, in, in these texts. As a matter of fact, a few, a few weeks ago, when I had an opportunity to, to, to share with you, uh, we talked about this leprous man that Jesus healed. Remember that passage? We talked about compassion, and we explained, or at least went over the idea that... Um, this man had been healed, and Jesus tells this man to go and present himself to the, the chief priest and, and, the, and the synagogue so that they could um, purify him or at least na- announce him clean. Um, and he, he tells that guy specifically, don't tell them about me effectively. But what does he do anyway? What does that leprous guy do? He talks about Jesus. He couldn't help it. And as a result of talking about Jesus more attention came to Jesus. More, the crowd grew, more and more people would follow him. Now, as we studied in reviewing that passage, as, as I said a moment ago, Jesus' compassion was on display. He took this rejected, um, despised, sick, scarred man, and, and he restored his dignity and his standing in the community. We observed in looking at that text that there are, there are five or so characteristics of a person who displays compassion. We said that they are approachable, meaning that people, when they have an issue, they're, they're, they have no problem approaching them about that issue. We said that they act. They don't just talk about what's right. They actually do what is right. We also said that they ascertain, meaning that they, um, they're able to look past a person's stain in order to see their soul. We, we also said that they admonish They encourage others to show genuine care and concern. And the last thing we said is that people who show genuine compassion, they abase, meaning that they humble themselves to a place where they're not lofted up or or, um, seen as holy. Now, each of these conflict passages builds on that theme. Each time someone uh, uh, um, challenges Jesus, challenges his ministry, Jesus responds with effectively saying to these people, do you actually care about anyone? You're complaining about me healing this guy, ab- about us eating this from the grain on the, on the, on the Sabbath. He, he's really effectively asking these guys, do you, do you care about people? And, and really, this is a, this is a question that, that we could all ask ourselves. You know, do, do I care? Do, do we care? You know, One of our coworkers or, or direct reports you know, does something. They, they don't acknowledge a customer. And we may look at them and say, hey, man, do you really care about your job? Do you really care about this situation? What do you call a family member and you tell them, hey, so-and-so just got admitted to the hospital with, the, with, the, with some weird, unacknowledgeable, or, un, or unexplained pain, and then that person on the other end of the phone says, okay, I'll call you back, we'll talk about it then. Hour goes by, a couple hours go by, a day goes by, they never call back. And you can't help but ask the question, whether they care or not, is... Does this person really care about um, someone who's hurting? Someone shares with you a deep hurt, a sin in their life that they're dealing with or or a complicated matter of scripture that they're struggling with, and and you you listen, you absorb, but you don't take the time to pray with them. You don't take the time to explain to them how they might grow closer to Christ. We might, after doing that, ask ourselves, do I really care about this person? You know, and, and we should ask that, that question. You know? Taking a step for, further, if, if not, just, not just saying, do I care about this person, but you know, where do I stand with God? You know? If we don't care about what's going on in a person's life or other believers' lives, what's the point in even being here? What's the point of even, even being a part of a, of a fellowship community? Taken further, if we don't care, then, then why should we expect other people to care for us? taken even a step further, this is, may get a little bit more uh, strong here, but if we if we don't care, then how can, I, how can we say that we're going to enter into the kingdom of God? In, in Matthew chapter 5, uh, chapter, verses 7, 8, and 9, we have Jesus uh, in a part there explaining what we call the Beatitudes um, in cases where folks are blessed in these scenarios. He says that the merciful are blessed and that they shall receive mercy from God. He says that the pure in heart are blessed, and that they will see God. He also says that those that pursue peace and recognition, I'm sorry, reconciliation are blessed, and that they will be called the sons and daughters of God. Later on in, in Matthew's gospel, we read Jesus declaring the golden rule. What's the golden rule say? If you could summarize it. Right. Jesus summarizes that, and he says that in that statement, is the whole law and the prophets, to treat others in the way that we want them to treat us, and in doing so, we really set our feet on the narrow path towards God's kingdom. You should care. I should care about people, and in keeping with the principles that were revealed in that previous week's study, Jesus is calling us to demonstrate, again, compassion And care, again. Now, if you Google this idea, I I Googled it, um, of compassion and care, you get a lot of responses back. And I found in this particular search that a lot of those responses came from, what would you guess, what kind of websites would you guess would come back talking about compassion and care? Medical? That's exactly right. A lot of the responses that come back are from healthcare companies or, or people that take care of of um, the elderly, they went on to describe not just compassion and care, but they also talked about dignity and restoring dignity. And, and, and matter, as a matter of fact, one website went on to explain um, how to improve compassion, care, and dignity for those that they treat. It, it says this uh, there were 10 ways that we can improve our compassion and care. Have zero tolerance for all forms of abuse. Treat people with the same respect you would want for yourself or a member of your family. Treat each person as an individual by offering a personalized experience. That sounds a little commercial. Enable people to maintain the maximum possible level of independence, choice, and control. Interesting there. Listen and support people to express their needs uh, and wants. Respect people's right to privacy. Pretty important topic these days. Ensure ensure people uh, feel able to complain without fear or retribution. Engage with family members and carers as care partners. Assist people to maintain confidence and a positive self-esteem. Kind of old metaphysical there, but um, act to alleviate people's loneliness and isolation. Those all sound reasonable, right? You know, you, you think about an organization trying to teach people in, in kind of a non-religious um, or secular way how to care for people. Those sound reasonable, but as a church, we understand that the, the author of love is the one who defines what true compassion and care is. And again, we, we've talked about this before, but the, this notion that compassion and care can be joined together are pretty critical as we, again, walk through these these particular texts. Um Again, last time I was with you, we talked about these principles that describe compassion. This week, I want to talk about care as distinct from compassion, though it's truly related to it. More concretely, I'd like us to take a look at this passage to learn how we as a church can increase our care amongst our community and amongst ourselves. So that we're not just the people who can academically describe what care is but we actually demonstrate true care for those among us and again those outside of us. We continue again in Matthew, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Let's start reading it to learn how in this incident we see care on display. Chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus, they being the Pharisees, to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we look at this passage this morning, and as we read it, and again, once, once again, Lord, see the kindness of your son uh, toward this man who the, the religious leaders rejected uh, to, to even come before them in this moment. And we, we look at this, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to see um, what you are teaching us with regard to uh, showing care for those among us. We pray, God, that as we read this text, that you would re- reveal yourself, and that you would help us to walk uh, more closely with you. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I think this passage is teaching us how to um, improve our care. And it, 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 in all these texts that we look at, whether it's in the book of Mark or any of the Gospels or even beyond the Gospels, we get an opportunity to see the heart of Christ, that's one of the most beautiful things about studying the gospel is that in reading them, we're seeing Jesus' heart. We're seeing not just the things that he does, but we actually get a window into what his, what his thoughts are, what his, what his attitude is, and what, um, in displaying those things that he's displaying, what he's trying to help us understand um, in some ways as an object lesson. I believe in this passage we find um, eight Things that we can do that, that can, that where in doing them we can improve our care um, and even our compassion um, in, the, in the community. In your um, pew, I, you have a, a handout. You know, usually I try to come up with a, uh, an alliteration or an acronym because they're easy to, to they easy, it kind of help to blow through the text. And before I ended up with what I have before you today, I came up with this the little sheet you have. But know that you're going to see an alliteration in this because I, it's, it's hard. It's like a Baptist. You kind of like you kind of gravitate to alliteration. So um, please bear with me on that. Uh, but through this text, we're going to see these various ways that that Jesus demonstrated care, and we'll see in them some practical things that we can do to demonstrate and, and exercise true care. The first thing we see in, in this passage is that. Um, it says there in verse 1, again, he entered the synagogue. Now, we've seen in other passages, if you read the, the, the synoptic uh, uh, books, we see the, the other gospels that are, that are written in synonymously with this one. Those are um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? So all these books are, are in some ways together. And they explain some of the same events in slightly different ways. And in other uh, Gospels, one of those other Gospels we see in, in various texts where Jesus would come to the synagogue pretty regularly. I mean, not pretty regularly. He was there all the time. When it opened up, he was there. When it was time to, to show up to participate in, in the activities of, of the synagogue, he showed up. In this text, I think the first thing we see here as, as far as expressing care is that in order, in order to really be effective at it, we first have to show up to service, right? Um, and not just show up to service regularly, but be present. You know, it's one thing to to be here. It's, another, it's one thing to, to, to make an effort to make the drive or the walk up to the, the, the house where the believers come together. As a matter of fact, synagogue, the word itself, does anybody know what that word means? Was that? Well meet together, but the actual place, the synagogue, what was it called? It's it's a house of assembly. It's a it's a place where people come together. It didn't really have a necessarily a a Jewish connotation, although it did it was it was a Jewish term that they used. But the fact is, a synagogue was a place where people who believed in God assembled together. You could almost say that this is a house of assembly that we're in right now. And so in as much as Jesus made it a point to show up to the synagogue, If we want to be more effective at care, one of the very first steps is to to be here. You say, well, why? What what does being here do? Well, one thing that being here does is you get a chance to hear the announcements, right? At a minimum, you get a chance to hear about what's going on, what we're doing in the community, what we're doing around us, and then you have the option, because nobody's forcing you, you have the option to do what? To be a part of it. To volunteer you know, Gordon just made a point about you know some folks getting together. It's really hot in here, by the way. I'm sweating, and uh, can someone open this door? And and I just need a cup of water too, because I'm really struggling. Appreciate it. Not to be too real, but it's just true. Um, man, that boiler is working. Thank you for your donations. Um, anyway, what was I saying? So yeah, um. You, you have an opportunity when you show up to, 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 to see what's going on. Gordon was just talking about an opportunity where folks can come together and go out to the community. Thank you very much, sir. Come Go out to the community and... Um, all right. And distribute little information about our upcoming events or our VBS in this case, right? He mentioned that we'll be praying for some people. Well, when you find out about that, you have an option. You say, well, maybe that's something that I would participate in. A few weeks ago or maybe a couple weeks ago, a message went out about uh, an upcoming thing that our our community is doing to to, to help the elderly in our community. You know, the vice mayor, I didn't even know that title existed, but the vice mayor of Monterey came to our church and he provided for us kind of a, a presentation of something that the city of Monterey is doing to Help the elderly in our community. They're doing a symposium and they're they're looking for folks in, in the faith communities and in other different areas to, to provide insight on how we can how how as a community we can provide um, uh, spiritual needs, maybe food needs, care needs to many of the elderly in our community. And so here's another opportunity that you can can uh, can get involved in. And so by being here, you know, by being on the email distribution list or whatever, you're able to find out about what's going on. And, and that mere fact, just showing up, um, allows you to have an opportunity or, or at least gives you an opportunity to participate in the lives of other people. So we say that one of the first things we see here is that Jesus made it a point to show up to the synagogue. He, he made an effort to do it. Even if he had a little sniffle, he was able to, he, he came in. I don't think he had a sniffle. I don't think God got sick. But he showed up, right, to the synagogue. And so we're thankful for that. He wasn't, we're not just called to be a part of the crowd, the Jesus crowd, the people that, that you know, wear the, the tattoo, you know, I belong to Jesus or John 3.16, right? We're called to be people that are present in the work of God as is pushed out. From the assembly of God, which is modeled in this place that we may call the synagogue. So, first thing we can do is show up to service. The second thing we can do to help improve our care and compassion is study to teach. It says here, and again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. One thing we see again in other texts regarding this is that when Jesus went to the synagogue, what did he do? You guys know what he did most of the time? He taught. You know, some some cases we see him actually reading from the book of Isaiah or whatever. He was there. He wasn't just there. He took an effort and he says, you know what? I'm going to come and I'm going to explain what God has said and how what we're doing now, in some ways, is a fulfillment of his command. Study to learn what God has commanded of us so much so that you're able to teach those truths to others who are either new in the faith or unlearned with regard to biblical principles. How many of you guys have ever done that? You've actually studied, you don't have to raise your hand, you've actually studied it was rhetorical, so that you could effectively explain those things that you just learned. You know, somebody was telling me at one point about a thing called a back read. They do that in the military, I think, you know, where, where you explain something and then you, you grab the, the guy who, or the, the, the woman in the situation who may not completely understand and you ask them to explain back what it is you just said to them. You know, if you're preparing, if you're preparing something or learning something so that you can go and explain it to someone else, you're going to be a little bit more attentive to that text. You know, one of the things I learned, one of the first things before I started seminary, they sent us out a book called Living by the Book. And it was written by um, Howard Hendricks and his son, I believe. And he, he taught our first class in biblical hermeneutics. And one of the things that he would have us do in that hermeneutics class and in this book, Living by the Book, was to look at the scripture to draw out as much as you possibly can. In other words, people call this, you know, dig the well deep. If you read something about Herod, go and research who Herod is. Why is he called Herod? If you read something about Tarsus, well, go learn about Tarsus. Figure out what those things are. Figure out who these people are. You know, one of the reasons you do that kind of study is because when you do go and explain things to people, they may start asking questions. They may start asking questions that, you may not have been prepared otherwise if you hadn't gone deeply with it. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, let's read that together. Hebrews chapter 5. um, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 12. The the writer makes this statement. It's, It's pretty poignant. He says, about this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he's kind of rebuking them a little bit. He's like, hey, guys, we we have to talk about a lot right now. We have to go over a lot of things. We have to talk about a lot of stuff. But unfortunately, it may be hard to explain these things to you because you become, what did he say, dull of hearing. He goes on, he says this, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He said, hey, you guys have been Christians for, you guys have been following Jesus for 12 years. And you still can't explain what baptism is about? You guys have been followers for, of, of Christ for, you've been in this church for 22 years. And you still are treating people that way and you can't you can't explain what can what what it means to to care and, and love someone right so what what the what the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, at some point you should be able to explain what it is you've been learning right and if we're going to be compassionate or or caring people, we should be people who study so that we can teach the, the peter says something very similar in chapter three verse fifteen he says that um, Um, I forget what he says, so let me go back and read it. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he says this. "Um, But in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a what? A defense to anyone um, who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so we should, if we're going to be caring people, we have to show up and we have to study, as Jesus did, so that we might uh, teach. Next one. Improving our care and compassion um, requires that we serve with intention. Look for opportunities to serve others. We get the sense from from this passage, again, look back over verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. Again, this guy, withered hand. Jesus notices him. He's looking, right? He's not just, again, he's not just showing up. He's not just studying to academically be aware of these texts. He's not just teaching about them, but he's actually aware of his surroundings. He sees a hurt man. He he recognizes him. He acknowledges him, and he says about him, he says, hey, come over here. Um, again, he's serving with intention. He's looking for a chance to actually give care to someone who's in need. You know, Some of us show up and some of us show up regularly. And again, some of us study, but we don't take the opportunity or the chance to look for these places where we can inject ourselves into someone's life so that they can actually receive the care and compassion that God wants us to demonstrate to them. The next point here is, um, as we serve, we should not only serve with intention, but we should serve the God of creation. Uh, Don't worry about what others are thinking or may think of you when you make a decision to serve. Serve God. Again, back over here in verse 2. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. So Jesus is like, okay, I know they're looking at me. I know they're watching me. But you know what? It doesn't matter that they're watching me. I'm still going to do what what the Father has willed for me to do. You know, this can go both ways. Some of us actually serve so that people can look at us and say, hey, look what I'm doing. You know, lift me up. You know, show me that I'm, tell me how great I am, right? There are some folks that do that. There's other people who don't serve because they're worried that people are going to look at them. They're embarrassed. They don't want to help. They don't want people to see them. The point is this whenever we serve, we should forget about everyone else and walk forward as though we're actually serving God Himself. Uh, Serve the God of creation. The next point simplify the route to restoration. Simplify the route to restoration. Provide a path for which the hurting can find healing. Verse 3, and he said to the man with the withered hand, come here, right? Jesus is saying, hey, forget about these people. Forget about them. I'm going to make a way for you to come come to me and receive from God what he has uh, for you. Jesus Jesus makes it easy for this man to feel safe in coming to him. He becomes a shield for him by using his authority, his position, to make him comfortable when stepping forward. He removed the cloud of secrecy that had become so characteristic of these religious leaders, uh, these ways and rules that they had had put forth, and uh, he wanted to teach them a lesson through his actions. This teaches us that we shouldn't have secret handshakes and and clicks and, and these kind of closed Kind of communities in our, in our body. We should make the path simple for a person to find community amongst us. And so if we're going to be caring people, we have to make it easy for those who need care to come forward. Jesus says to this guy, forget these Pharisees. I know they're looking at you. I know they, they think that you shouldn't be here, maybe because you're infirm maybe of something fell in your hand and it broke it, or whatever, you were born that way. I know they're looking at you that way and they're judging you for that, but hey, I'm not judging you. I'm gonna open a way for you to come forward. And if if we're gonna gonna be people that that provide care and compassion, we have to simplify the route, make it clear for folks to come and uh, be served by our care. The next thing we see here is that we should set traditionalism aside. Don't allow religion... And ritual to prevent you from doing what is right to dictate whether you should do what is clearly consistent with what Christ has commanded us to do to do. Look again at verse four. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do harm or to to do good or to do harm to save life or to kill? And It says, but they were silent. Jesus asked these men whether it was lawful to save a life or to kill. We know in other texts that Jesus explains what killing someone was all about. It wasn't just taking a knife or a gun and taking someone's life, right? Killing someone was equated with having anger for them in your heart, right? Matthew 5, 21 and 22 records Jesus' teaching on this, where he clarifies the law, stating that anger toward a brother is equivalent to, to, to the act of actually taking that person's life. Jesus wanted them to understand that their acts of keeping the law were incomplete and that their hearts were unable to perceive how to to properly apply the law. They were so so concerned about this guy and, and keeping the law and making sure no one healed on the Sabbath that they were demonstrating hatred and anger toward Christ and even in some ways toward this guy who needed healing. And so we should set traditionalism aside, set religion and ritual aside so that we might actually effectively care for people in need in times that, that seem like, you know, like say for example, someone walked in here right now and they had some issue, some problem, you know, do we say to them, hey, we'll get to you next week. We need to spend some time together going over our weekly activities and then, Once we get our weekly activities straight, we'll attend to your need. No, we don't do that, right? If someone has an issue, someone has a problem, we we talk to them, we deal with them, and we help them as we have opportunity. The next thing we see here as we kind of roll to the end is uh, we should, if we want to demonstrate more care, improve our demonstration of care, we should see beyond the moment. See beyond the moment. Consider the lasting impact of the actions you perform that are in accordance that are in accordance with God's will both upon those receiving the benefit and those that witness look for the grace of God for each there's a lot I want to cover on this topic but I'm going to say just summarize it to say this here it is in uh, verse 5 it says that Jesus looked around at them it says he looked around at, at them with anger and then it jumps and says that he was grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the men, said to the man, "Stretch out your hand." The Greek here is very illuminating, because in this text we see it say that that Jesus was was had indignation toward these men, and then later on it says that he was grieved. So the Greek tense here for the for the word uh, that we that's translated anger or indignation is is in what's called the aorist tense. The aorist tense to make it to make a long story short is a a simple um, past tense. It it simply just says, hey, this thing happened. I bowled yesterday. Or I went went to school. It doesn't talk about the duration of the the event. It doesn't talk talk about the lasting impacts of those events, but it just states the event as having happened. The, The next word saying that he was grieved about them is in the present tense, meaning that the effects of that state of mind continued on into future times meaning that the 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 feeling of anger was for a moment the grief he had for these guys was beyond that even to the point of the cross remember on the cross what does jesus say one of his last words that he said concerning those that were that were killing him effectively he says father forgive them for they know not what they do right so jesus in this moment is looking beyond the moment because he knows that these guys just, they don't get it. They don't know. Right? And so he's looking beyond the moment. He's not just looking beyond the Pharisee's moment, but he's also looking beyond that that man's moment. Right? He knows that he's going to restore him. He knows that he's going to protect him. And so if we're going to be caring people, we should look beyond the moment. This is very similar to the point I made a few weeks ago about, you know, looking beyond the stain in order to see the soul of the person that we're that we're caring for. You know, we shouldn't allow the what's before us to affect the lasting uh, care that we provide for those people that we actually care about. Last point. Sacrifice what is required. Uh, the subline here is, be willing to sacrifice comfort and life in the mission of caring for those in need. I'll just say this in verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians of all people against him how to destroy him. The Herodians were the, the people that were faithful to Herod. They were Hellenistic Jews or Jews that were Greek-speaking Jews of that time, and they believed that Herod's family was the greatest family on earth, effectively. And they wanted to restore the Herod's kingdom to their area. The Judea, well, the Pharisees. Who do they want restored to the, to the to the throne? Who did the Pharisees want restored to the throne of God in Judea? Anybody know? Well, kind of. He. We read about him in Psalms. David. Thank you. They wanted David restored to the to the throne, right? And so you have two conflicting opinions about what the future should be. But yet these Pharisees, because they hated Jesus so much, they found an ally in their hatred. For a political uprising, you know, these guys didn't want a political uprising, they found an ally in the Herodians, and so they said, hey, let's merge with them, and let's create this faction to kill Jesus. Well, Jesus didn't let that stop him from doing what he had to do, right? Nor should it let us. If what we do in our care, if caring for people involves us going to the point of giving our lives, we should be willing to do that. In most cases, it won't. You know some people are afraid to to to, to go out in a mission field or or do something for God because they're worried about how it might affect their comfort there are some folks that are that are nervous about doing that because they're worried about whether or not, whether or not they'll live once it's all said and done like some folks go into some really tough places we shouldn't allow those fears to keep us from caring for people that have need That's all I got to say. I mean, I, there's more I could say, but we're way out of time, and I apologize, but uh, let's pray, and then we'll, we'll close the song. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we're thankful for the fact that you revealed to us in very um, clear, concise ways how you have cared for people throughout the years. We pray, God, that as a church... You would help us in um, and, and being here, being present, and, and serving with intention, Lord, and, and sacrificing what's necessary, putting traditionalism aside, uh, looking for opportunities where we can demonstrate your love for those that have true need. In Jesus' name, amen.